All right, I'm going to jump right into some things. Um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 this morning, just like last week. Um, Matthew chapter 5, if you want to follow along with, with where I'm going, you can go there, but don't worry, the scriptures will be right up here on the screen if you didn't bring a Bible with you. And I do want to tell you that I'm going to tell a couple of stories this morning that ugh, I wasn't really excited about telling, but the, the Lord loves when I tell about how, uh, how I've messed up in life. Uh, so here's the first one. Um, this lovely young lady that was just up here on stage is my youngest daughter, Hannah. Yay, Hannah. And all of you that know her now and know what a wonderful, passionate Jesus follower she is, if we could just rewind uh, 10, 12 years ago, I was a little bit different story. Now, don't worry, I'm not telling the story on you, I'm telling the story on me, okay? Yeah, she's, she's going like, Dad, what are you about to say? Um, Hannah and her mom, back in the day, did not get along well. Any other parents have similar issues with teenagers at times? Uh, they didn't get along well, and um, Hannah has her dad's mouth on her, so she... <laughs> She can put up a good fight. She can argue. She can do all kinds of things. I mean, she's good at just... Uh, and there was a night that I was sitting back in the bedroom. I'm reading a book, and I hear these two get into it. And I'm just going like, dear God, I don't, want, I don't even want to know. I don't even want to know. I just put the book up to my face. I don't even want to know. But it doesn't matter whether I wanted to know or not. They found me. They came spilling into the bedroom there, and, and uh, Lisa's looking at Hannah saying, you need to tell your daughter this, and Hannah's just like, Aah! and at first I'm trying to be a little bit calm about it, but the thing is, back in the day, I had a really bad temper, and I could go from relaxed, civil human being to a uh, silverback ape in about two seconds. Just, Rah! and she wouldn't be quiet. And I just went off on her. I mean, I just lost it on her. And at first, because once again, she has her daddy's mouth, she was giving as much as she was getting. And we're just arguing now. But the thing is, I put it into overdrive. And I said some things to my daughter that a father should never say to his daughter. And I knew the moment that it hit her because she stopped arguing. Tears started to fill up in her eyes. And I was just like, you get out of here. You get to your room. I don't want to see you the rest of the night. Go. She went. I picked my book back up. What the Spirit of the Lord said, man, you're a big man, aren't you? Just tore a little girl down. And I said, Lord, she deserved it. And he said, mercy is not getting what you deserve. And he said, have I not been merciful with you? And I realized at that moment, I realized what I had done. I called Hannah back in and apologized, and we hugged it out a little bit. But the thing is, the Lord brought me to a place where it broke my heart. 
when I realized what I had done to my daughter, it broke my heart. So we're in a lesson series called Illumin 8. Eight times Jesus says you're blessed. And today we're going to look at blessed when I realize what I've done. Just a little recap from last week. Uh, we are going through what we generally call the Beatitudes. And the, the Beatitudes are much more than just the attitudes you should be having. Beatitude is an ancient English word for blessed. So when we're reading the Beatitudes, we're reading the blessings that Jesus was, was declaring. And we also looked at that the word uh, Beatitude is a, uh, the word that's translated Beatitude is from a Greek word that's really a compound word that if you literally translated it, it would mean an overflow of grace in you. So Jesus wasn't just saying, be blessed. You know, we use that word blessed all the time, don't we? Bless their heart. He wasn't just saying, be blessed. He was saying, may an overflow of grace be in you. And remember, grace is receiving something that you've not earned and that you don't deserve. And we also talked about the Beatitudes because I've preached it this way. I've heard it preached many times that they're like eight separate little things. And you know, you can take any one of those and you could, you could make a great message out of it. But I believe we lose some of the power of what Jesus was saying when we don't look at the Beatitudes as if they all go together. In fact, they're a stair step. Stair step up and stair step down. We can show the... The, the slide here real quick. See, last week we started with poor in spirit. And that's really Jesus dealing with us, helping us recognize we cannot do this on our own. He's dealing with our, our mind, our recognition. This morning, we're going to deal with mourners. Blessed are they that mourn. But this is the Lord dealing with us in our emotional realm. Then we move up. Next week, we'll talk about repentance. And all that leads us up to the great the one that everybody likes, hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then we move back down. It's Christ working through us. And we'll talk about this as we go through all of these. So, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, we read right there at the first part of the scripture, it says, blessed are those who mourn. I want to read it out of the classic amplified version. It says, blessed and enviable, happy, with a happiness produced by the experience of God's favor and especially conditioned by the revelation of his matchless grace are those who mourn. So how can mourning be a blessing? This doesn't seem to make sense. Just like last week, how could poverty be a blessing? Well, when we take it the way that Jesus is actually giving it, we can understand that it truly is a blessing. When we read that uh, blessed are the mourners, we often think about somebody who has lost somebody, right? They're mourning a death or something like that. It's not what Jesus is talking about. In fact, uh, there are four words in, in the New Testament, four Greek words that have been translated mourn. And I want to show these to you just real quick. The first one is a ceremonial wail. That's W-A-I-L, okay? 
whale, not, not whale like in the... I'm saying that because we have some people from New York back here, and I don't know if they speak East, East Texas yet, okay? I, I, I just have to be honest. All right. So, um, a ceremonial whale. Remember the story where, where Jesus was getting out of the boat and, and the, the synagogue leader came to him and said, will you come pray for my daughter? And on the way, someone comes and says, you know, don't bother the master, she's already died. And Jesus says, don't worry about it, we're gonna go. So when Jesus got to their house there, it says in Luke eight fifty two, it says, and all were weeping and mourning for her. This was a ceremonial wail. Back in the day, they had people that were basically professional mourners. They would show up anytime somebody died and they would help you feel bad about it. And this, I'm, I'm being honest, okay? That's, that's what's going on here. A ceremonial wail, weeping and mourning for her. But Jesus said, don't weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. So that's the first one. The second one is a sense of hopelessness and dread. And here uh, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is telling his disciples about what it's going to look like when I come back. And Jesus told them in Matthew 24, 30, first part of the scripture there, it says, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of earth will mourn. Why are they mourning? Because there is a sense of hopelessness and dread that has come upon them because the truth that has been preached within their borders that they did not believe is suddenly true. Okay? The third one, and I know I'm going fast, but I have a little bit less time this morning, is an angry, bitter, disappointed cry of sorrow or lamentation. Now, once again, all of these are, it's the same word, mourn, but this one is an angry, bitter, disappointed cry of sorrow or lamentation. Right after Jesus was born, when the, when the wise men did not go back to Herod and tell him where they found this king that they were looking for, Herod sent out soldiers and they killed all the babies that were two years and under. And the scripture says in Matthew chapter uh, 2, verse 18, and a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they were no more. Once again, this morning right here, it's, it's an angry, bitter, disappointed cry of sorrow. But what do the first three all have in common is that they are all outwards, outward expressions because of a circumstance. Something has happened that has caused me to react this way, right? None of these words is what Jesus used. The word that Jesus used in Matthew chapter 5 is the only one that speaks of an inward sorrow. It's a remorse. It's a sorrow for what we've done, not the results, not the circumstances that it brought on. A lot of people get sorry when they, when they get a bad harvest, right? So I tell people all the time, you've just got fruit. You don't like the fruit. You need to deal with the root. This, this is the Lord dealing with the root, in us. 
bringing us to a place of sorrow, bringing us to a place of remorse for what we've done, what we've done. I know, I'm, still, I'm sorry, it's still East Texan. I apologize to you guys so much. For what we've done so he can change us, right? And quite often it just kind of slaps us in the face. So here's that horrible second story. This is a story that I've never told anybody, anybody. (laughs) Till this week I told my wife. Why? Because it so affected me way back in the day. I just don't talk about it. But I had not been saved very long. This is 1988. Yes, I'm that old. 1988, 20 years old. I had been saved maybe three or four months. And during those three or four months, I am trying to figure out how to live this this Jesus life and not lose all my friends. And it wasn't going very well. They didn't want to hang out with, well, you know, Chris, he's kind of gotten religion. Now, we don't want to hang out with Chris right now. So all my friends have just started disappearing. But my best friend from high school who joined the Navy just as we graduated, he was in town on leave. So he still would hang out with me. And there's a couple other guys that would, that would still hang out with me. And we're riding around in a car one night. And um, he starts telling us this story about he, he's living out in California at a naval base. And he and his best friend in the Navy, who happened to be a black guy, black guy, they would ride through this town that they were living in, and they would kind of pull up next to people, roll down the window, and they would shout, hey, the N-word. Remember, it's 1988, okay? <laughs> so I am in a place where I am so desperate for acceptance. I'm in such need of somebody just to say, hey, you're a normal person. Desperate. So he's told us this story, and we start going up over this this bridge, this overpass, and there's somebody walking underneath it. And me being the class clown, I rolled the window down. Guess what I shouted? Hey, the N-word. And it was as if the Holy Spirit grabbed me by the face. And he said, that's not you. That is not you. And it was the first time, besides when I had gotten saved, yes, when we get saved, we come and go, blah, to to the Lord. But it was the first time that something that I had done, a godly sorrow grabbed a hold of my heart. It was as if a knife went into my heart. I didn't enjoy the rest of the evening. And I just went home and, and, and poured my heart out to the Lord. Second Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly grief, sorrow, produces repentance. 
Repentance is a change of mind. It's a change in the way that we do things. So much so, it causes me to do opposite of what I have been doing. God wasn't trying to beat me up because of my sin. I repented of the sin. I asked him, forgive me of the sin. What he wanted to do was change me. And godly sorrow will change us. I have had people from this church ask me, why do you talk about prejudice and racism so much? Because godly sorrow led me to repentance. It changed me. And yes, I've been forgiven for the sin, and the Bible tells us that he puts our sin as far away from us as the east is from the west. But you know what he's never done? He's never let it not be tender. I think of that, and I still cry over it. It bothers me to this day. It bothers me to this day the way that I talk to my daughter. But godly sorrow brought repentance. Is this making sense? (laughs) I'm sorry for being so real. Godly sorrow changes us. 2 Corinthians 7, 11, the very next verse from what we just read. I want to read this out of the message. And now, isn't it wonderful, all the ways in which this distress, this godly sorrow has goaded us closer to God. The result of of godly sorrow, of remorse, of this mournfulness. Once again, this is not just feeling bad about something I've done. This is about the Holy Spirit ministering this into my heart, into your heart in such a way. And it's not all about tears and snot and all that type of stuff. It's about a change of heart. Isn't it wonderful all the ways in which this distress has goaded us closer to God? You're more alive, more concerned, more sensitive, more reverent, more human, more passionate, more responsible. Looked at from any angle, you've come out of this with a purity of heart. Why is it so important that we have a multiracial, multicultural church? Because godly sorrow led me to repentance. Back in Matthew 5, verse 4, here's the whole verse. Blessed are those who mourn, for, for because of the godly sorrow, they shall be. That's a promise. That's a promise from God. They shall be comforted. So here's a big one. What does comfort mean? Once again, this is not just somebody coming up and patting you on the back and saying, oh, I hope you feel better. You know, we're here for you. Call me if you need anything. The word comforted right here, the Greek word is parakleo. 
parakleo. In John, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit was the paraclete. Parakleo is the verb. Paraclete is the noun. So what is he really saying here? This wasn't Jesus saying, hey, when you feel bad, we're just going to make, you know, we're going to cheer you up. What he said was, this is a promise from God that when godly sorrow comes and wrecks you, we need to be wrecked over our own sin. We don't like to talk about sin. Oh, that's an old-fashioned word. We don't like to talk about sin. We need to be wrecked over our own sin. We need to be wrecked over these places that are not bringing honor and glory and pleasing to the Lord. We need to be wrecked over these places where I would rather be accepted than do what's right. When godly godly sorrow comes and wrecks you, the comforter, The paraclete, the Spirit of God will rush in to strengthen you. That is the comforting power of the Holy Spirit when we come to that place where godly sorrow has moved in on us. And that doesn't mean that we sit and and whine about things forever and ever and ever and ever. That's not where, where we're going with this. But what I'm saying, there has to be a time where we recognize what we've done. If it's always somebody else's fault, we're in a mess. And I know a lot of people like that. I do a lot of pastoral counseling, and it's always somebody else's fault. It's always somebody else's fault. I didn't do anything for this. They're just jumping all over me. Now, does that happen from time to time? Absolutely. But it's a lot more rare than you would think. Usually, we've had a part in it too. And until we're willing to recognize what we've done, there can't come that place of godly sorrow so he can comfort us. So how does the Holy Spirit comfort those that mourn? I just pulled out three things that the the New Testament tells us that the Holy Spirit does. First is intercession. And we hear the word intercession and we think pray. And of course it can mean pray. But what it really means is uh, someone standing in between us. So the Holy Spirit stands between us in judgment. The Holy Spirit encourages us. He helps the mourner move towards repentance. And the Holy Spirit instructs us. It leads the mourner into truth. So Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. There's encouragement. For we do not know what to pray as we ought. That's actually truth. We think of revelation. Only revelation is truth. You know, give, give, me, give me truth. The Holy Spirit comes and gives you truth from the Word of God. Absolutely. But sometimes He gives you the truth about you. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. There's intercession. Three things that the Holy Spirit does to come in and comfort us when we've come to the place where we are mourning over what we've done. 
Now, I've been blessed. I've had an overflow of grace in my life because I've mourned over my sin. Sin of anger, sin of pride, sin of arrogance. We could go down a long list here. And more than once I have uh, mourned over the stupid things that have come out of my mouth. But in each instance, when the Lord has revealed to me what I've done, I've been comforted. And I've been encouraged. And I've seen the truth. Will you bow your heads with me? I'm going to ask you, just as, just as I pray, just listen on the inside. What, what would the Holy Spirit say to you? He may bring up an instance in your life where he's saying, yeah, that's not who I want you to be. He may remind you of something that you said. Or a way that you've acted. Someone that you hurt, even if you didn't mean to hurt. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would reveal to us. Reveal to us. Anything in our heart, in our life, in our thinking pattern, in our emotions, Lord, that is not, it's not healthy. Not only is it not bringing glory and honor to you, it's just not healthy. Lord, it's harming us, holding on to things, insisting that we're always in the right relationships being severed because I'm just too proud to say I'm sorry. And I know there's always that time where we go, well, Lord, you, you just don't know what they did to me. But the truth is, he does. And I'm not going to tell you that if, if you apologize to somebody that everything in the world is just going to be great. Because you cannot control their actions. You can only control you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would minister to us. Help us realize what we've done so we can be comforted. Reveal those places in our life that we, we may even be blind to or refusing to admit to. Because, Lord, there's no reason to be in a church on Sunday morning unless our heart is to grow closer to you. That's why we're here. Lord, pick us up, clean us up, Set us on the path that you have for us so our lives will honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.
We're going to take communion this morning. Communion here at New Covenant Church is, is open to anybody. We're not checking your membership record. Whether you've been baptized. You know what? I've seen people get saved in the middle of a communion service. You should have gotten one of these when you first walked in. If you did not, wave your hand. We have an usher that will come and, and, and bring you one of these. Now, I know that usually when we're taking communion, I've, I've preached myself happy, and we're just going to shout about the goodness of God. We're going to shout about the, the, the blood and the broken body. But I understand that this message is a bit more somber. You know, it's okay to be somber at times. It's okay to slow down and let's think about what we're doing. If you'll peel that top part off, if you haven't already. We're going to take the bread. And, and if you feel okay with it, just kind of hold it up. I always love holding it up to the Lord. It's almost like, Lord, this is yours. Because it really is. And this morning, as, as we allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us, I want us just to remember that Jesus was broken for us. He's broken for our healing. It can be physical healing, but quite often it's emotional healing emotional healing that we need to receive from the Lord. So as we're holding this up and we're saying, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Let this never become routine to us, Lord. Let us never, ever forget the power of communion. Let us never forget what Jesus paid so we could just be remembered, so we could be reminded and as we take this bread, Lord, we're asking the comforter to come. Come, comforter. Maybe there was something that he's already brought up to you. And just as you take it, just say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. I need your healing. I need you to comfort me. Comfort us, Holy Spirit. As we take the body of Christ together. And then we take the cup. I'm so glad for healing. I'm so glad for emotional healing. But there's a spiritual healing right here. The blood of Jesus Christ wiped away our sins. The blood of Jesus Christ 
purchased us. The blood of Jesus Christ redeemed us. The blood of Jesus Christ moved us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. As much as that day that the Lord brought me godly sorrow, I remember that. I'm telling you, I remember the day that Jesus changed me. I remember the day that the blood became real for me. I'd sat in church all my life. My grandfather was a preacher. My daddy was a preacher. But I didn't know Jesus. But for the blood, but for the blood, but for the blood. Thank you, Jesus, for shedding your blood on that cross, that gruesome death that you went through so you could purchase us, you could buy us, you could redeem us, you could bring us into the kingdom that we could be sons and daughters of the Most High God. Lord, as we take this, we remember and we remind ourselves of what Jesus did for us. Would you stand with me, please? If the Lord has ministered anything to you this morning, let somebody pray with you. There's something about confession. There's something about talking with somebody else. If you've never come to the place, if you've never, ever, just ask Jesus to invade your life. Because that's what it is. It is an absolute invasion and takeover of your life. If you've never been in that place where you've, you've realized, I cannot do this on my own. And I'm sorrowful. Godly sorrow is bringing me to this place. This is your moment. If you've come to that place, yet it's just seemed cold. Man, our walk with the Lord is not meant to be cold. It's meant to be on fire. If you're just feeling cold in your relationship with the Lord and you want somebody to pray with you, these are godly people. If there is anything else, say anything else. Because I get calls during the week and they say, well, you didn't say I could get prayer for that. You can get prayer for anything else. This morning, I love praying for you during the week too, but you can get prayer for anything else that is going on in your life from one of these people, okay? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Lord, we choose to connect with you and receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.